0: I feel at the moment, a lot of people still think it's going to be so easy to switch to electric aircraft and this is all not a big thing. But very, when you look at it from an infrastructure requirement, it is absolutely humongous Massive. to shift. Massive, yeah. I had a discussion with a large operator, airport operator, and this, their GM told me that to recharge one 30-seat electric aircraft, would have a higher power requirement than they're currently using for the whole airport facility.
1: Well, Kia and welcome back to another episode of the Tourism Chat Show. And yes, we have had quite a long break, but it's great that you've all been able to join us today for our very first episode of 2024. It sounds still sounds so bizarre, even though we're at the end of February to be saying that, but hopefully you've all had a great summer. I know it's been pretty busy out there, and thank goodness the weather seems to have held up everywhere all over New Zealand, so which is great to see, especially after what we all went through last year. So today I'm not going to talk very long because I've got an awesome interview with Chris Sattler from Island Aviation in Auckland. And Chris is one of those really genuine, lovely people who just has so much experience in the sustainability space. And it's just come from a place of wanting to do business better. And I really enjoyed chatting to him and learning about what they're doing in their business. And hopefully you you might even get some tips on what you can do in your business or something that you could do at home. So Tune in, have a listen, enjoy the episode and, you know, we'll be back next week again now that we're back from all of the holidays that we went on through the summer. Um, Yeah, I've had a bit of an Aussie trip, a trip to the beach up in the Coromandel and also a couple of weeks in Canada skiing, which was pretty awesome too. So while you were all enjoying 30 degrees plus here in the Auckland heatwave, we were in an Arctic blast in minus minus. 32 degrees so yeah it was pretty interesting experience but um yeah all good fun hey look now if you know somebody that you think we should be interviewing on this show don't forget to get in touch and drop a note on any of our socials or email it through to me you all know how to get hold of me and we'd love to bring those people to you if you want to hear from them so yeah don't forget to get in touch but anyway i'm going to leave you now with my interview with chris please enjoy and we'll see you all next week. Kakete. So today we're talking about sustainability and it's my great pleasure to introduce Chris Sattler from Island Aviation in Auckland. Kia ora Chris, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show.
0: Kia ora Michelle, very nice uh, meeting you.
1: And look before we get started tell us a little bit about Island Aviation, what you guys do, where you are, where you take people and all of that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, so we originally started in 2013 as Auckland Seaplanes, that was our uh, original name. And we reintroduced seaplanes to the Auckland Harbour after a gap of about uh, 30 years. And we continued with that until 2020, when we had to vacate uh, our seaplane base for the um, America's Cup and uh, so we basically only had intermittent seaplane operations after that and uh, by uh, a bit of good fortune In 2017, the only airport on Waiheke was for sale and was about to close and be cut up into a couple of property developments. Mm -hmm. And with a business partner, I I bought the airport on Waiheke and then we started wheeled operation. And then when we lost the seaplane base, that proved to be very fortunate. And so we shifted from seaplanes to fixed wing aircraft and we are Operating from three main bases, which is Waiheke Airport, North Shore Airport, which is about 25 kilometers north of downtown Oakland, mm-hmm. Ardmore in the south of Oakland. And we do scenic flights and fly and dine packages to Waiheke and then charter flights all around the north of New Zealand. And we also have a scheduled service twice or three times daily in the summer from North Shore to Great Barrier Island boats to Claris and flights to Okiwi, at the second airport mm. there. As well. So we got a mixture of tourist activities plus scheduled flights plus some sort of special, special interest or, or special request flights like we we're doing at the moment.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay, that's really interesting. So no more seaplanes at all.
0: Uh, at the moment, not because council yeah. hasn't given us back the base; they prefer to have the area empty for. For potential other things, mm-hmm. and uh, so we just basically we you know can't operate without a base downtown. So we're just sort of reevaluating what to do with the last of our seaplanes.
1: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And you've been on quite a sustainability journey throughout the years, and that's one of the reasons that obviously I invited you to come onto the show. Can you tell us a little bit about what prompted the decision to focus on sustainability within your business operations?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we started operating in 2013. So last year, November, we, we had our, hit our 10-year milestone. And when we started out, right from the start, we actually looked at what can we do to have low-impact operations. And that started with the design of our office where we put in double-glazed windows and make sure that you know it doesn't need a lot of air conditioning and heating in the winter. We started with collecting rainwater from the roof in 2013 already and because we needed water to wash down our aircraft on the that's sitting on the ocean and then with aviation obviously one of the big emitters is from the fuel that you burn when you fly Mm -hmm. and so we started measuring that and in 2016 we looked at partners that we could work with to measure and then offset our emissions And we started that in 2017 with
1: Toy2. Okay, interesting. So it's been basically from right from the beginning of your company. That was one of the things that you wanted to do. Did you have specific initiatives or goals set from the beginning or did it evolve over time? Like was it just something that you thought would be a nice thing to do or...?
0: Well, I thought the one thing that we saw right from the start is actually that sustainability can be good business because if you're using less resources, then ultimately that can have a positive impact on your bottom line. So just basically by, you know, using the water from the roof to wash our aircraft, we didn't have to pay for water and we didn't have to pay for electricity for, for heating or for air conditioning. And so that was, you know, the initial thought. But then obviously we looked at sort of What are the biggest contributors of our or biggest impact from our operations? And then we focused and we started measuring things and then we could, you know, introduce steps to offset those impacts or minimize them.
1: Mm, Okay, interesting. And can you provide some insights into those core practices or activities? You've mentioned some of them, but what are the the big things that you're doing to promote sustainability in, in the business?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing is obviously if you don't measure things, then you can't do anything about it. So you have to start looking, okay, where are the, the drivers in my business? So with aviation, it's pretty easy. I mean, for us, the offsetting journey was was pretty straightforward because we could basically you know, measure 95% of our impact by just looking at 12 bills a year, which is the bills for the aviation gas that we burn to to fly the planes. And so we started looking at offsetting that, but then we started also not just looking at how much fuel do we burn but actually how much fuel do we burn per passenger because we found that that is a better metric especially now that we are in 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 sort of scheduled flights that Mm -hmm. we fly more and we therefore consume more F gas. but are there ways to to minimize the impact per person and then and then reduce that and that can be done for example by by having different aircraft sizes in the fleet so you can adjust the fleet to to demand And then flying in different ways is just like driving. I mean, you can drive more in a more fuel-consuming way or you can uh, drive in a less fuel-consuming way. And it's the same with with aircraft. You can can do the same. And then basically the other thing was that we started giving our customers an option to offset their impact. And so when we first talked about mitigating our emissions from the flights, I had a, a discussion with some of the people at Air New Zealand and they said that at that time they had about 2% of passengers that were buying the offset that is offered on their on their scheduled flights that they're mm-hmm. they're selling all over the world. And so we looked at that and said, "Well, how can we do? How can we do that? And what can we do about it?" And so we started promoting that it's really only a small amount of money per passenger to uh, offset that impact. So in our case, we calculated it's about two dollars per person per per flight, mm-hmm. and then offered to the passengers to buy that when they purchase a ticket and we were really pleased with the uptake so we had about initially about 10% of passengers uh, buying that offset and then depending on the customer group and demographics in some groups we had up to 30 or 40% of those people offsetting that so that was then good for us because it helped us towards the cost of our offsetting activities but it also you know obviously it was the right cho- right choice to do and and you know and sort of like make people feel good about their choices and and what they're doing
1: yeah yeah that's really interesting and you mentioned there the importance of measuring how did you go about doing that because a lot of the times when we talk to tourism operators and particularly smaller operators about you know sustainability efforts and what they can do that seems yeah. to be a bit of a sticking point of yeah. how do i actually measure this how do i get started without it costing me yeah, uh, you know, squillions of dollars to do so. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, in our case, it was pretty easy because I get the bill for F gas, and it's like three thousand liters a month, five thousand liters a month, whatever it is, and that's the biggest bit. So, I mean, we actually during the journey we shifted from one provider to another for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons actually was that this one particular provider was very, very focused of all on all the nitty gritty detail, uh, and you know, when you collect bills and credit card receipts. Seeds of you refueling your car, and and they're not so readable. Uh, well, back mm-hmm. then there was much scanning, to be honest. So, and then you have to say, oh, was it twenty point two liters or twenty point one liters? Because I can't see the price. Then it gets very cumbersome. But so I think it's focusing on the on the big wins, which are the important bits. Because if you have ninety percent, ninety five percent done very easily, then, you know, it's the Pareto. you know, 80% of the impact takes you 20% of effort, and then the last 20% take you 80% of effort. So perhaps go for 90% and 30% of effort, and then you're doing a really good job. Uh, So that's that's one of the things. The other thing that uh, we found over our journey in the last sort of like six, seven years was that... If you work with other people, it makes life a lot easier. So last year, we took part in the Tauri Kura Initiative, which is a joint initiative by... Tourism Industry, Aotearoa, and Tataki Auckland Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And we got, in our group, there were 18 tourism operators from uh, Waiheke and from Aotearoa Great Barrier. And we were all going through a program where we were measuring our impact, where we're looking at what are the biggest areas of emissions or waste and what can we do about it. And out of that came an initiative to go on Great Barrier single-use cup-free. So all the food and beverage operators there decided to no more offer single-use cups. And instead, they had a cup library. So you could bring mm-hmm. a cup and then leave it there and then it gets clean and so forth. Yeah. And then we took part in that by providing our first hundred customers for free multi multi-use cups mm-hmm. and then giving cups obviously to all our other uh, all our staff members and then promoting that also in the confirmation to the customers saying look out here is single use cup free so please bring your bring your reusable cup and bottle uh, or alternatively you can buy it at check-in and so th- th- this sort of like working as a group really has a much better chance of being successful and it's much less cumbersome for everybody so that's probably the two things that helped us along the way.
1: Yeah, that's a great initiative. I remember reading about that thinking it's really cool to see a whole community come together, because that must have a major impact.
0: Yeah. And especially on some of the islands. I mean, they have Mm. no not Well, on Aotea, they have actually a really well-run recycling center there, but still a lot of the stuff can't be recycled. And even on Waiheke, mm. there's not, there's a bit of recycling that can be done on the island, but most of the rubbish in, on Waiheke actually gets trucked back to town to be disposed of. And wow. From- point of view this is just ridiculous so I mean we're working with <clears throat> some of the environmental groups on great barrier but we're also starting to work with Waihiki Resources Trust and um, Electric Waihiki and, and people like that to just make sure you know we're we're all you know pulling in one direction and we're all working together and, and achieving the best results for everybody.
1: Mm. Do you think it's easier because you are on a small island? Like if you compare to Auckland City or Queenstown, for example, do you think that has been a slightly easier
0: Uh, well I I don't think it makes a difference to be quite honest Michelle because I mean when we started out in 2017 we didn't have operations on Waiheke and Great Barrier we just started in 2016 we just started in downtown Auckland and did all those things and I remember at a talk back then about our water recycling from the roof I I met a a rental car operator and he says Chris we never thought of that I mean and we're using heaps Mm -hmm. and heaps of water because we're washing all the cars when they come back from their rental And, and so So I don't think it's important where you are. I think you can always find like-minded people and make a group and, and get going. And you have a lot of RTOs and other sort of parties available that can support you as well.
1: Yeah. Yep, that's very true. And through the course of your sustainability efforts, have there been any notable setbacks or failures? And oh, well, how have you overcome those?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, failure, I'm not sure. But, I mean, there have been some things. I mean, we when we started out, one of the projects that we supported very heavily was a project in the South Island, where they are basically replanting a derelict farm and turning that into a nature reserve. Mm -hmm. And it's in Hinawai, close to Christchurch. And unfortunately, those carbon credits ran out in 2020. And so we couldn't continue with that anymore. So the reason we worked with that project was because the carbon offset obviously is one benefit. But one of the things I really like as projects are sort of reforestation or protecting native forests and bush, because it's not just the carbon it's also the impact on biodiversity it's the impact on fresh water so there are many ancillary benefits just from the purely carbon offsetting and so that's why i prefer that over sort of for example you know helping switch from coal fire to gas fire power plant or something like that so yeah. so that was that was a bit sad but then we found other other valuable products, so one of the last ones we supported was a project in the Solomon Islands where one of the local tribes put their land into a 100-year trust, so it couldn't be developed or cut down. They just could only do some sustainable tourism activities, so we liked that very much. And then over the last year, we sort of decided to shift more and work with initiatives in our communities because we felt while it is a good thing to do something overseas and away from your base, with our business being very closely connected to Waihiki and to our Great Barrier Island, we felt well, it is probably better to do something in the community. So over the last year what we've done is we've taken part in a big planting initiative on Aotea. So we had 11 of our staff go out there for a weekend and we helped plant about 500 trees in a wetland restoration project. And then we helped clean some tracks in a reserve. And recently, we have bought all the trees for a replanting initiative that they are doing this year on Aotearoa, and we're looking to do something similar in waihiki because with that, we can actually, first of all, make sure that for their replanting activities, they use local trees and scrubs. We help create some employment, and we help create surety of demand for local nurseries. It's It's a very small place, so if yeah. you say, okay, for the next X years, we will buy every year three, four, five hundred plants from you. And then okay, they can plan. We know we have partners to work with. And so it's a really nice initiative. And we are now looking to actually develop some tourism products where we then take tourists want to experience that and fly them there and then take part in initiatives like they have a weekly planting day so go Mm. out there on this particular day and give people the opportunity to do something in the community for a couple of hours and then combine that with other things that they might want to do which are more sort of touristy or have nice food and wine and things like that so it's not basically just labor.
1: Yep. Yep. Oh, that sounds really cool. So I was going to ask what feedback have you had from customers on like, do you get feedback on your sustainability? Do you think that customers choose you because of what you're doing? Or do they just feel good about it?
0: i mean there's all different motivations for customers so i'm sure some people don't care and uh, they just you know for them it's just i need to get from a to b and that's it and some people value it very highly and then there's anything anything in between but you know customer feedback is important and i mean we were always when we when we so pre covid when there was sort of continuous feedback loops and things like that we were always ranked as one of the top activities to do to do in Auckland and i think our sustainability angle contributed uh, to that but to be quite honest i mean there, there are various aspects of sustainability and sometimes you just have to do the things that are right no matter whether everybody values it i still remember people telling me in 2017 "Oh, what are you doing about this carbon ra," and i just said well this is what i believe in and that's why I do it and you know being a small business owner you know m- sometimes makes it a bit easier because you can yep. actually decide uh, what's the value is. and and where you want to put your money and and so forth mm-hmm. whereas in a large corporate organization then you have to you know jump through more hoops and justify what you're doing in ROI and all these sort of things whereas for us it was just the things that, you know that's us uh, as a business and that's what we want to do and and then let's do it you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I really like the way that you've melded the environmental stuff with the local community. And then also when you talk about creating jobs, it's, Mm -hmm. it's kind of that complete sustainability story, isn't it? Rather than just focusing on offsetting and yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I mean, we're a bit fortunate because I mean, because we are an airline operator, but I also have that sort of like guardianship or katiyaki uh, ship of the of the airport on Waiheke, we can do other things as well so we can look after you know, we do open days where we raise funds for the, the Coast Guard and for Rotary on the Isle to, you know, mm-hmm. put us out and things like that. And um, and then we obviously want to make sure that the airport is valued by the community as a central part of the infrastructure. And, you know, historically, there were people, not everybody's in favor of, of an airport necessarily because of noise and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think over the last seven years that we've taken care of that, we were able to really sort of get that whole community aspect stronger, but then, mm-hmm. and so not just the environmental, because I mean, sustainability has at least three or four different aspects to mm-hmm. it. And community is one of it. Customers, the other one, yeah, uh, the environmental is the, the third one and and financial sustainability is the fourth one. And I mean, you know, in the end, we all have to break even or, or make make a reasonable return on our invested capital because otherwise we're not able to invest in it for the long term. We're not in able to retain people and we're not able to invest in uh, in, in newer and less-emitting aircraft and vehicles and all the rest mm-hmm. of it as well. So it's not just sort of like <laughs> doing the, the offsetting thing and that's it and then leave it at that, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you look ahead, what are the, some of the key goals or milestones that you're hoping to achieve in the future around sustainability?
0: So I think there's probably, there's probably three things that, that are uh, really important to me. The first one is to really shift that sustainability from an offsetting uh, an external to the community aspect more into the, the sort of communities itself. We've done a, a lot of good steps, but I think there's more to do because we've got these two islands and ideally we want to move with both, both of them. Mm-hmm. Then the second one is around... Um, Further developing a career path for our pilots, because at the moment, there's a huge pilot shortage. And mm-hmm. and in New Zealand, there's the interesting situation that the airlines don't invest in training their own pilots. They expect small operators to train them. And then as soon as they're well qualified, they hire them and they pay right. them. And the small ones, they carry all the cost. In In other countries, like in, in Europe, most of the airlines have their own training academies. And so they invest in their pilots and they train them along. So having an ability to work from with four-seater, eight-seater, ten-seater, single twin-engine aircraft, we're actually in a position where we can take pilots in relatively shortly after they qualify and then we can take them through over a period of two two and a half years to then basically be the guys that sit in the front of a jet or something like that. So that's that's the second one because we need the staffing and we need this, 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 the the planning basis for our operation. And then the third area is really to look at, you know, what technology shifts can be need to happen over the next years. And that's sort of like a, a longer process, at least four, five, six years. So, I mean, the shifting, the first part of community offsetting and community engagement, that's something that's a, a near-term short term win easy and then the second one is sort of short medium term and that third one that's a really long term one and we're working on on two initiatives specifically we have a, a company in the UK that's a, developing a conversion kit for our aircraft from aviation fuel to hydrogen and so we've done some initial work and looked at the routes that we fly, the loadings we have, the runways and so forth, and then worked through with the current technical specification whether this conversion kit will be able to fulfill the, the requirements that we have. And so that's a tick in the box. Mm-hmm. It's the current spec, but the aircraft hasn't flown yet. So it's at the moment still in, in development. Mm-hmm. But, then the second, but then the second aspect is that it's no good just having an aircraft that you can fly on hydrogen if You don't have the whole infrastructure in place to deliver as well. So that's where the airport operator side comes in. That's where working with aviation fuel suppliers comes in. That's where working with regulators comes in. And all these things are neither easy nor quick and require a lot of a lot of medium to long term work. And so that's something that's probably going to take another four or five years. And it's working both in the shift to hydrogen side for one of our aircraft. And on the seaplane side, we're looking at an electric opportunity, which is sort of quite, quite special. And both of those have really good opportunities to move to really low emitting transport, but the time horizons for both are probably four to five years from now still.
1: Mm. That that seems closer than I was expecting, I must admit. I know it's still a, a little way away. But you mentioned there a lot of it around the infrastructure and obviously technology that is some of it is coming offshore. Do you do much collaboration with the aviation industry, like in terms of other operators who might be looking at heading down the same path?
0: I mean, yeah, so we do uh, quite a lot. So first of all, the research that we did was converting our aircraft to hydrogen is not just something that sort of we keep under the blanket as sort of like our own secret. We actually share our learning with other operators of those aircraft in New Zealand. So we've informed them of our steps and what we see as the likely outcomes and the challenges and so forth. Then there's an aviation industry group. But then we've also been in contact with Auckland Airport, Christchurch Airport, and with the fuel companies and so forth. Because I think there's a, I, I, I feel at the moment, a lot of people still think it's going to be so easy to switch to electric aircraft. And this is mm. all not a big thing. But very when you look at it from an infrastructure requirement, it is absolutely humongous Massive. to shift. That's yeah. required. I had a discussion with a large operator, airport operator, and this their GM told me that to recharge one thirty seat electric aircraft would have a higher power requirement than they're currently using for the whole airport facility overall and so i'm involved with another i'm chairing another business that's in sustainable construction material Mm -hmm. and so from we had to put in just a crushing and screening plant with 600 kilowatts which is a a very low it's below the charging requirement for any any aircraft and just to run a hundred meter cable was a quarter of a million dollars and so you're looking at absolutely humongous infrastructure cost, Mm -hmm. And and that's on the electrical side of things. And very few, none of the airports I know currently has battery infrastructure in place. We're looking at Auckland, so at the Waiheke Airport, we're looking at putting infrastructure in to start charging ground transportation because some of that charging infrastructure will then be applicable for small Aircraft that are in development, and so we're just trying to do the baby steps to get there. But none of the big airports has has anywhere the capacity to to charge even five aircraft or ten aircraft or yeah. something like that. So that's on the electric side, yeah. and on the hydrogen side, you know, at the moment, two companies are rolling out a basic recharging infrastructure for along the highways in New Zealand for for trucks. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's about five to 10 stations. And so there's very limited experience with handling. There's very limited experience with uh, sort of how to safely deliver it. Um, And then around the airports, there's no experience. So Mm -hmm. uh, last year I was in in Orkney in in Scotland um, and they... In a way, they're a little bit similar to the Hauraki Gulf. They are mm-hmm. quite remote. Not everywhere has mains power. And they actually have so much energy from wind and tidal resources, tidal flow, that they can't export onshore to mm-hmm. Scottish mainland. Yeah. And so they, they decided to use those excess power availability to produce green hydrogen because you know, even if it's not that efficient, it's still better than switching the wind turbines off in very high wind situations. Yeah. Have nowhere to take that energy to. Mm. And so they have now set up an infrastructure where they transport the hydrogen, and then they charge the ferries in the main center. And they've taken the same thing to the airport. They're now heating and cooling the airport. And then they have an infrastructure in place mm. to when hydrogen planes become a reality, that they can now deliver them to the planes. But there's also there are no engineers to maintain hydrogen, the insurers have yeah touch thought about that the storage requirements aren't clear there you know it's a very light gas you know and it's very flammable so there's there mm. so challenges around that and the obvious problem is that you know it requires a long-term effort in on various aspects so it's it's very time consuming it's not a quick win and that's why i think having balancing that with some initiatives that have a a near-term impact and, a, and an easier win is crucial because otherwise you you might be working on something that that takes five years or might never come to fruition. Yeah, and then you know, especially if you're a small business, you know that's really hard and it's obviously very very difficult to fund and fund in as well. So yeah, yeah,
1: oh, awesome! It's a really fascinating story, and I'm really enjoying hearing <laughs> from you. But we are coming almost to the end of our chat. I've yes. just got one question around. I guess the communications and promotions of your story and what you do in that sustainability space how like what what's proved successful for you when you look at how you engage with customers stakeholders employees and your local communities
0: yeah yeah, I, I'm not sure actually. To be honest, whether we're doing a good job with it. I mean, we're using we're using Facebook, we're using open days at the airport, we're using LinkedIn, the sort of standard media. We do some things on our website, uh, and then it's it's really I think around collaboration with others because then it goes out via many more channels than if you just do it yourself. And by coincidence, last week I was asked by Tourism Industry Aotearoa they wanted to write a piece about our work on switching the aircraft to hydrogen. And that was just published yesterday. So, I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> that's very <laughs> nice to be recognized. And, you know, perhaps that leads to, to other people picking these stories up as well. But, you know, I think it's a bit of a, a balance because you don't want to be... M- just talking about what you're doing. Oh, this is wonderful and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, if you don't talk to, don't don't talk about what you're doing, then there will be no change because people might not be aware of what's what's happening and what the opportunities and what the challenges are.
1: Mm. And I think it's also good for people just to like it might prompt them into making some decisions in their own home. For example, if they're seeing what's happening out yeah. there in the in the real world. So yeah, well done on that. Look, I've just got time now for the quick fire question. So this is just a bit of fun <laughs> to get to know Chris a little bit better. So are you, how are you feeling about this? I'm just gonna fire a question at you. You just fire back the first thing that oh, comes in. Hope they're not too hard. <laughs> they shouldn't be, no. So let's kick it off. Who's the most famous person in your phone contacts?
0: Oh gosh. Oh, that's a hard one already to start with. now well, I mean, we've got I don't really want to name names but I mean we're very fortunate because we had a very unique product that we got a lot of mm. people from the media I, I think a boxing world champion some fashion designers from famous in New Zealand a couple of government ministers and uh, lo- lots of TV and, and people like that around you know so yeah, so, and, yeah and, you've
1: got a, a good little black book <laughs> a good a good
0: mixture and some of them are more interesting than others and and so you know but it, but yeah
1: yeah awesome i leave it at that it's okay <laughs> and who would play you in a movie about your life
0: i spend a lot of time in japan and one of the movies i really like is lost in translation so if i had to choose somebody it possibly would be bill murray um, and great yeah movie <laughs> yeah. great movie yeah
1: yeah what's your favorite book do you like to read
0: yeah, I mean, at the moment, I don't get much time apart from sort of technical things and business things. But one of the books I read recently was The Book Thief by Markus Zusak. And I really, I, I thought it was a very interesting um, book. And I grew up in Germany. So obviously, <laughs> the period in which it places is uh, very important for sort of like, from a historical point of view.
1: Yes, yeah, definitely. And what's one thing you would never do again?
0: <laughs> That's an easy one. Before we moved to New Zealand, we decided to travel in Europe and see the places that would be very difficult to visit when we once we we I live in New Zealand. So we moved here 17 years ago. And yeah. so one of the last trips was through Eastern Europe, the Baltics, and then we did Lithuania, Estonia, uh, Latin and Estonia. And in, in Estonia, we went out for, for dinner in a beer restaurant. And they offered uh, grilled pig's ears as a snack. And that's something I definitely wouldn't <laughs> do again. This is, that was probably yeah. the most disgusting thing I've ever put in my mouth. <laughs>
1: Oh, funny. Who's your hero?
0: There's um, quite a lot of people that I think very highly of, but one person that stands out for me is Nelson Mandela. And I went to uni in in London and was fortunate in 1988 to go to his 70s birthday concert in Wembley Arena. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. It was a great concert, but it Mm. also... Was two years before he got released from prison after spending twenty seven years in jail, yeah. and then being able to overcome that experience and and unify and transition a country to a much more inclusive way. I think that's that's really outstanding.
1: Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And finally, what's your favorite New Zealand destination? Well,
0: I'm obviously very invested in the Haraki Gulf. So I think that would be it for me. And it's really just, it's the diversity of of destinations there. You've got Waihiki, you know, you've got nearly 40 vineyards. You've got really good restaurants, beautiful beaches. But then you've got places like Rotoroa Island, which is an island sanctuary. And you can watch baby kiwis being released into the wild. And then you've got out here Great Barrier, and you've got, kilometre-long beaches where I've never met more than two people on the beach and yeah. they've got pools, awesome. and things like that. So I think the that that really is is the place I enjoy the most and obviously I, I get to see a fair bit of it as well, luckily.
1: Yes, brilliant. And it's nice to notch one up for the North Island as well because most <laughs> of our guests tend to talk about the South Island. So yeah, it's, it's we always love a vote for the North Island.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, thanks for sure. That's very true yeah.
1: Look, Chris, I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm sure that our listeners will get a lot out of your sustainability journey and story. And hopefully it will inspire some others to start on the path if they haven't already or to keep going if, if they have just started out on their journey. So wish you all the best. Thank you very much. And, and we'll catch up soon.
0: Thank you very much, Michelle. It's very kind and lovely talking to you. Have a great day.
1: You too. Have a great day.
0: Thank you.